Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. everyone to gtf gabriel talks football this is the start of four shows on the barroom network after this at 2 p.m central it's bardon hockey talk Vinny and frank will talk about the chicago blackhawks good start to their rebuilding season and then at 7 p.m phone 55 and Alyssa barbieri welcome rj ochoa who's going to be talking about the cowboys and give us all the latest information that we bears fans need to know to be better prepared to watch that game on sunday bears and cowboys and then we end the broadcast day with Danny Shimon breaking down some Justin Fields tape. But we always begin with the absolute best, and that is Greg Gabriel, my friend. How are you, brother? I'm wonderful. You know, we, we, we had a win, so I put you in a good frame <laughs> of mind to start off the week. You can, that you-, say that, you can stay that way for, you know, five or six days until the next game, and then, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Right. But I saw that you tweeted out, uh, although I can have a fun show on Wednesday. So <laughs> I absolutely I'll tell you, last Sunday, that was uh-huh. a bitch. No Bears game Sunday, no Bills game Sunday. It's like I got nothing to watch. <laughs> you didn't watch uh, the uh, Packers get uh, blown away? Oh, then, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, mean, I, watch, I watch football, but I mean, not, not teams that I cheer for. Right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> and then well, what about Aaron Rodgers throwing his teammates under the bus? Oh my God. I couldn't believe that. I, I, here's what's kind of weird mm-hmm. is that Monday when they have uh, their press conference, he's, you know, he's saying, well, maybe this is pretty good. We're going to go into Buffalo as a big underdog. Maybe we could, could you know, <laughs> use that. Okay, and uh, that's probably a you know pretty good statement to make. Then the next day, he does his podcast mm-hmm. and just throws everybody under the bus. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. now he doesn't go to the building on Tuesday. He's got to walk in there today. There are mm-hmm. going to be some teammates that are really pissed off, and I don't care if they you know if it's Aaron Rodgers or who the hell it is. I would be a bit surprised if he if he's. Uh, uh, pissing them on about the offensive line. You see a couple of Olay blocks on uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday afternoon where he gets his ass kicked pretty good. I, I just I, I could not believe what I saw when I you know when I when I read that I go what the hell is he trying to do? You know you want to say it in private that's fine. You want to say it to the guys that's fine. You say it on public in a podcast that you know has a lot of hits to it. And, you know, automatically goes national. Really stupid. You know, ever yeah. since he's been taking those drugs from South America, <laughs> he's, he's kind of lost it, you know? Yeah, that ayahuasca stuff is not anything anybody should be taking. I don't care what they say about the benefits. Um, I've never tried it, but from everything I've read and learned about it, that stuff is dangerous. And, by the way, Aaron Rodgers has had a long history of alienating 
teammates, but this one is probably the most egregious to, as you said, saying on his podcast and, and, and basically say these guys should be benched, you know, for their mental errors and stuff. Well, how about looking in the mirror, look at yourself, because if you look at his play, he mm -hmm. hasn't played very well. Mm -hmm. He's mad. You know, he'll blame everybody else, but he's made poor decisions. He's held on to the ball too long. He's been inaccurate. Hey, Aaron Rodgers, you aren't perfect, my man. Yep. I was listening to a, uh, a news report, sports news report, and they were saying, does Aaron Rodgers have something against Sammy Watkins? Because he was open over and over again, and, and Rodgers chose not to throw to him. Well, I think it has more to do with Rodgers is not seeing the field well because perhaps the pass – Blocking is not as good as it's been. David Bakhtiari is still missing in action, and there's some other plot problems in that offensive line. So he's getting a little of that treatment that we've seen our quarterback here in Chicago get. Justin Fields is not having consistent good pass blocking. But let's talk about our Bears. What did, How would you term this step and the progression of Justin Fields? Uh, you know, I, I'll go back a couple weeks ago, and I forgot what the hell game it was, but, you know, he, he played pretty good. And I said, maybe this is the, the first step. And then, then there's a bad game. We had the, the Washington game, mm -hmm. and it couldn't get things going. But he came back. And, now, and the good news, and I got to tell you, there's some people that say that, you know, the Bears should have hired Brian Dable. And I love Brian Dable. And he's done an outstanding job in New York. But I think for this team right now, that was the right hire. Fluce was the right hire. I think he's done a great job. And, uh, you know, I like when he when he's talking to the press, he's very, very real. There's no bullshit to him. Yep. You know, and, and he tells you exactly what it is now there's information he's going to withhold as he should but just what comes out what he says um how he says it mm -hmm. you know that's like he didn't have to say he goes yeah this way we're just gonna have a you know a lot of meetings and a walkthrough on wednesday mm -hmm. he didn't have to say that but he did so he gave that information and and um he told you exactly what they were going to do. He told you going into that mini buy what they were going to do. And he told you what they were going to do during it. And basically everything he wanted to accomplish got accomplished. Mm -hmm. And they had by far their strongest showing of the season on both sides of the ball. The uh, A lot of people are saying uh, about uh, Luke Getze, where has this been where have these pre-designed plays been do you think that um it was a, a fault by getsy not to have these pre-designed plays earlier in the season or do you think that this is more of kind of the natural growth of a quarterback and seeing what he can do and not do well you know what that's a good question and i think it's it's a combination of everything you know part of it is and if I'm not mistaken, Green Bay had already played Baltimore this year. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Well, Baltimore's got a pretty active quarterback. Mm -hmm. And that guy, Lamar Jackson, had some success against Green Bay. Mm -hmm. Who saw that on tape? The Bears saw that on tape. And so when you, when you see the success 
that one team has with an athletic quarterback, you incorporate something similar into your game plan. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it also can throw your opponent off kilter a little bit because they're not necessarily, you know, they're going on what you have done, mm-hmm. not throwing in something new. So that part I think was good. But a- another part is he's starting to become more, uh, what's the word I want? Um, mature? No, not mature, more confident in his knowledge of the system. And and this is not an easy system. I, t- I talked to a friend of mine who is very, very, very familiar with this system. Um, his familiarity came uh, through the Rams. And I'm not going to say if he's still there or, or not, but, you know, I wanted to know about the system because, you know, McVeigh got it from Shanahan and, you know, the Rams are using it. The San Francisco 49ers are using it. Minnesota's using the system. Green Bay's using the system. The Bears are using the system. Denver's using the system. And it's all pretty much the same thing with, you know, little tweak here, little tweak there. But it's, I said, what makes it so difficult? He goes, it is freaking hard mm-hmm. to learn. And he goes, and it's not just, the quarterback, it's the quarterback and the receivers. I go, well, what makes it hard? Those the adjustments. Mm. Everybody's got to be on page, and there's so many site adjustments. And I've said that before. If, you, if you're in an offense that has a lot of site adjustments, if, if that receiver isn't confident in what his site adjustment is supposed to be, you could have a guy who's a 4 Three one or a four two nine or a four four five. He's still going to play four six five or four seven because he's not confident in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So he's not going full speed. And then you know your quarterback and and your receiver got to be on the same page because they both have to be reading the same thing from the defensive back. So what I mean by sight adjustments is depending on what the defense is doing at the snap of the ball, not necessarily in your pre-snap look, but at the snap of the ball, that's going to determine what kind of route you run. So you might have two or three different options Mm -hmm. within one play for the receiver to run. And now you've got to have the quarterback and the receiver reading the the same thing at the same time, and then the receiver's got to run the rock correctly. Mm-hmm. So it, it just takes a lot of time for everything to connect. And, and this guy told me, he goes, that's why golf failed in, in, in L.A. He mm-hmm. just couldn't get it with mm-hmm. that. And, 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 you know, McVeigh finally put up the white flag and said, you know, we got to get somebody else. Mm-hmm. And and look at the the problem Russell Wilson has had in Denver. Now this guy's been a you know an All Pro quarterback, arguably one of the top five quarterbacks in the game, and he looks like a journeyman outcast mm-hmm. in Denver. And, and it's like you can't tell me he goes from here to here. Just the drop off is just like that. This is a quarterback position where you, you know. You can play until you're 38, 39 years old, unless you're Tom Brady, and then you can play until you're 100. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's just crazy, and a lot of it has to do with he's used to playing in, in one particular type of system. 
he probably thinks like that. And then he has to, to, to change all that in his mind and it becomes difficult for him. Mm -hmm. You uh, asked me earlier if the uh, Ravens have played the Packers yet. It, it's actually the Ravens have played the Patriots. Uh, okay. And so uh, Lamar Jackson rushed 11 times for 107 yards in that game. And I that's think what I meant. I'm sorry. I meant the Patriots and that, and that, so they saw the success that the, 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 um, Ravens had against the Patriots, my mm -hmm. dad on, on, on the team name. And so, okay, well, if they did that, we should be able to do that because our guy's just as athletic. Mm. What do you think about uh, a lot of people are saying that Matt Eberflus, the rookie NFL head coach, outcoached Bill Belichick, the one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coaches in many people's minds uh, in NFL history? I don't know if I, 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 there's one thing I couldn't figure out that I've never seen Belichick do. And I worked with Bill for seven years, eight years in New York. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know him well. And obviously when I worked for him, he had never been a head coach, but the way he handled the quarterback situation was just really weird. Yeah, And I think going forward, He's got to mend some some fences. I think so. Because yeah. that that thing, you know, he, he basically tossed uh, Mac Jones away, brings mm. in the rookie, and, and the rookie. There's no question the rookie can uh, can throw the ball pretty good. Zappy can can throw the ball pretty good. He's got a quick release. He's got no movement skills. None. You, I mean, he, he, he's a statue. And and Jones does, isn't necessarily a mobile quarterback, mm -hmm. but he, he's Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields next to Zappi. <laughs> I mean, that, that, it, it, it's night and day. And, you know, they didn't move the ball the first two series, and he pulls them. That that and, and is just beyond me. And then the other guy, you know, yeah, he gets he gets 14 points on the board pretty quick. That part's good. He stunk the rest of the game. Sure did. He sure did. Now, uh, Belichick did tell the media that that was a pre-planned that they were going to put Zappy in at a certain point. It just unfortunately happened after an interception. But I doubt. I don't believe that. I don't believe it either, uh, Greg. Tell me why you don't believe it. Because the guy getting all the reps during the week was Jones. Mm -hmm. And he had been the number one and been fairly successful as the number one. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he's a first-round pick. Now, yeah, you, you don't take away from the fact that the, the, the guy went in, but you know, did Jones look terrible? The worst thing Jones did in that game was – kick Jaquan Brisker in the nuts. Yeah, what about that play? Because this looks uh, like it's on purpose to me. Oh, damn right it was on purpose. <laughs> when you see it when you see it from the other side, uh-huh, he's looking right at it. Oh, <laughs> I got a clear shot here. <laughs> That's exactly right. Look at this. It's like here, here, have this for getting next to me. And then the way he 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 gets up and tosses the ball in Brisker's direction was such a sign of disrespect. You know, you just got him in the Jules area, and uh, it, it looked like a just a 
total unsportsmanlike. I I wish they would have thrown the flag in there for taunting or kicking in the balls or whatever. I I tweeted out and I, you know, put I go to my friends at the NFL, you know, the, their Twitter account that Mac Jones better be better be fine for this or your fine system's fucked up. Oh, good. I'm glad you did that. And uh, and it got it got a lot of play. It got a lot of retweets and stuff. So, but I'm sure, you know, the Bears can send the, that that clip to the league office. The league office watches that. And, I, and, and you know, they had, uh, you know, Pinnell had that cheap shot at the end of the game after the uh, yeah. Tyler Gordon uh, interception. That's going to cost him fine sometimes you don't have a little bit to do with how much money you make and if you've been fine before. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say that that hit is going to cost him somewhere between fifteen and 25000 Oh, that's ridiculous. Do you think that was a legit call? Uh, the, uh, yeah, it, it was It was a legit call. Was it? Did he actually do it on purpose? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. And, and, you know, Aikman mentioned it. Uh, in, in the broadcast, you know, it's kind of like in the heat of the moment type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was the right call. But it, that one's going to co- – he got ejected from the game. It's going to cost him money. Yeah. I I, I thought it was kind of a ticky-tack. And I I tweeted out that Matt Eberflus should write a letter to the NFL officials complaining about the lack of uh, unsportsmanlike uh, penalties not being called when Justin Fields is involved. There were two instances. There was one when he went out of bounds. He was clearly out of bounds a, uh, a couple of oh, steps. Oh, had a good yard out of bounds. Yes, exactly. And then there was uh, the the sidearm throw where he gets pancaked. I think between I two guys. Exactly between two guys, and I'm like, why is that not a penalty? And it was a brilliant play by Justin Fields. You talk about courage. This guy, Sheldon in spades here, uh, just unbelievable play. And he cocks that ball because he he was afraid it was going to get intercepted and, and completes it. And I think here in the subsequent uh, follow-up replay, you see that hit where he gets pancaked by two guys. You see, he's asking for the officials for a penalty, and they're just kind of like ignoring him. I, I don't get it, you know? Here it is. It's like, oh, yeah, there's one, two steps by both of them. Unbelievable. Just Yeah, I mean, and, and, yeah, should have been a penalty. You know, on that type of thing, you know, they got a touchdown. If there was not a touchdown, I bet you the flag would have been thrown. Okay. Okay, but at the same time, when you get a penalty like that on a touchdown play, mm-hmm. then the the penalty yardage gets marked off on the kickoff. So instead of kicking off from the 35-yard line or 30-yard line, they're kicking, you know, 15 yards farther upfield. Mm-hmm. And – you know, that obviously you're going to get a touchback out of that. So what some teams do, though, when you get a situation like that where you got a penalty on the kickoff and the ball's moved up, mm-hmm. they, do, they do a blooper. First of all, you, you know, your team's 15 yards farther downfield to start, and they'll do a blooper that they hope can land, uh, you know, inside the 10-yard line, and then they're right on top of the guy, and, and you can pin them back inside, say, the 15-yard line. 
All right, we've got to talk about uh, the play of the rookie cornerbacks. After uh, Jaquan Brisker uh, gets kicked in the nuts, uh, two or three plays later, he comes up with an outstanding interception. Uh, there he is circled there. Kind of, I think this is kind of a three-deep zone. He, he quickly makes the play on the ball, makes the one-handed interception. Uh, this guy has got all pro written over a future all pro written all, all over. No, no question. No question. He's got great. Uh, my belief going back, you know, 25 years is that there's two positions on defense that it's imperative that you have top instincts. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll talk about that for a second, but the one position is safety. The other position is inside linebacker. Mm -hmm. And there's a, you could talk about instincts, put it in a, in a more simplified way. Is he an anticipator or is he a reactor? Mm -hmm. Okay. An instinctive guy anticipates. And so he, he's, he's thinking ahead, so to speak, where a reactor sees it, then makes his reaction towards a play. The difference can be, quarter second, half a second, whatever, but maybe even a little longer than that. But it can be the difference between making a big play like that or not getting the interception for a linebacker making a play at the line of scrimmage or maybe after a one-yard game versus a three- or four-yard game. You know, so you always look, especially I do, and this is the way I was taught, is that at those positions you're always looking for very instinctive players. And and some guys, um, a perfect example, Danny Trevathan. Danny Trevathan was not a fast guy. No. Very, very instinctive. Danny Trevathan was like a 4'8 guy. Mm -hmm. And and playing at a time when you'd rather have a 4'6 guy playing inside. Mm -hmm. And But he had such good instincts. And another guy, Lance Briggs. Lance Briggs was 4'7'8". But he played four five five because he was so damn instinctive. Mm. Um, the other young cornerback uh, who I was so glad to see uh, get a pick because I'm sick and tired of people on social media saying, "Ah, oh, we should have picked George Pickens instead of Kyler Gordon." Well, Kyler Gordon has, as you have said, Greg. This guy is playing well. He's had some growing pains, but he's getting better and better. And you, you, you're all in on Kyler Gordon, aren't you? I'm all in on Kendall Vildor, too. All of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden nobody's thrown on Kendall Vildor. How about uh, it? <laughs> uh, yeah, Kyler Gordon needed to play. That that's We could talk about another guy in a second, Braxton Jones. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. You know, Kyler Gordon came out of school early. Okay, he was a one-year starter at Washington. You know, was a rotational player the year before that. He... Another guy with great instincts, mm -hmm. good speed, not great speed. Now he gets run down on that play, but the guy who runs him down was the fastest guy at the combine, ran a four two seven or a four two eight. You know, so you know when you get caught from behind by that guy, it's okay. You know, because because he's easily, you know, difference in time is at least a tenth of a second. Mm -hmm. But you know, Gordon was going to get better. First of all, I think the last three games he's played well. Mm -hmm. yes. But you can get he gets better because 
he's he's you know been between preseason and now he's played what ten games, nine games, and he's uh, getting used to things. He's seeing different types of offenses, different types of uh, of route concepts. Uh, he's become more experienced. You know, it's almost to the point where he's not a rookie anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, almost and and, and so you start playing with more confidence and he's and, and yeah, he got picked on early in the year, but the last few weeks he's played really, really well. He has man. And another guy that played really, really well. And after he scored a touchdown, he went like this, basically saying pay me. And that's Roquan Smith. Do you think that Roquan Smith is now settling into this weak side linebacker role and that we can anticipate these big plays happening more frequently for him and costing the Bears a lot more. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to. I, I think they'll eventually come to a deal. See, th- th- there's a a key here. There, first of all, he doesn't have an agent, and that's a mistake on his. Part. Oh my gosh! Yes. Okay, I think it's a huge mistake. But he already showed his hand a little bit during the preseason, mm-hmm. and. An agent would say, don't say that, and he already said it. And what he said was, you know, they talked about, well, you know, what if they franchise you? He goes, hell, that's a lot more money I'm making right now. I'll sign that. <laughs> that's right, he did. Okay, say. that's 18, a little over $18 million. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so, you know, people are saying, well, you know, they should trade him at the deadline. Why? You got him. At, even if you don't get a deal, you franchise tag him next year, it's $18 million bucks. They got the money. Mm-hmm. You know, to do that, what's the problem here? You're not going to trade him. Mm-hmm. I mean, so some of the things that people come up with, you know, Monty, they're going to trade Monty. I can't say. I don't see the Bears trading maybe one player, maybe trading away one player. And as far as players coming in, I'm going to say right now, zero. Mm-hmm. And And first of all, the media makes a big deal about the trade deadline. The league, it's a yawner. <laughs> it's always been. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I, I would bet that, well, I know during, I, I don't think there was 10 deals on total mm-hmm. on the trade day deadline my whole entire time working in Chicago. The last couple years, there have been a deal a few deals, but there's never more than a handful. Mm-hmm. And some are, and, and, you know, where did people get the idea that Carolina is going to have this fire sale? <laughs> First of all, I know Scott Fitter very, very well. We worked in New York 20 years ago, better than 20 years ago. And we, you know, we worked for a number of years together. He's a very good football guy. McCaffrey First of all, he got a ransom for that. Mm-hmm. That that was a great trade for his part. The guy, he's an older running back now. He gets hurt every year. <laughs> you know, he can't say, that's the guy you move. But you're going to move a guy like DJ Moore, who's like in the first or second year of his con- of an extended contract. Mm-hmm. You take you, you trade him and you get hit with a $14 million cap penalty right off the bat. Mm-hmm. That isn't going to happen. He's not getting traded. Right. You know, Robbie Anderson was a cancer in the locker room. 
So you get rid of that. You're on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know where people come up with this stuff. You know, uh, it, it, it just, it, it rarely happens. They, they, they just, it's more, like I say, it's more of a media driven type thing than, uh, than a, um, an actual event within mm-hmm. the National Football League. The NFL is not the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL, where trade deadline means a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of buying and selling going on in those sports. It doesn't, right. happen, it doesn't happen in football, and it'll never happen in football. And part of it is the salary cap and, yeah. and, and the implications that you add to the salary cap. Right. Well, and everybody is, you know, talking about Quinn and, you know, he's got a lot of money left on his contract. So if the Bears were to trade him, they'd have to eat a a lot of that money and so forth. But it was interesting to me, Greg, that uh, Ryan Poles uh, has demonstrated to me that he's got big balls before a Monday night football game against Bill Belichick and the Patriots in uh, Foxborough, he decides to have a fairly impromptu press conference. It was announced three or four hours before the game that he was going to meet the media. But everybody was wondering, why well, Why would he do it now? Why would he do it here? And in that press conference, he basically said, I have all the confidence in the, confidence in the world with my draft picks. I see Justin Fields developing. And a lot of people in the media and people in social media were snickering when they were seeing these quotes come out on social media saying, you know, this guy has no idea what, what kind of a terrible team he's built. And then the team goes out there and proves him correct in every way imaginable. Have you ever experienced a GM with the brass balls that Ryan Poles has? Um, I I loved it. You know, Ryan Pace would would hide for uh, the 17 weeks of the season. Well, to, to be fair, although mm-hmm. most GMs don't say a word once the first game starts. That is true. You're you're okay. right. They're they're not not all of them now. The exception is if something happens, you got a trade, you get a huge injury, something like that, where not only not only does the coach have to speak, but you got to speak. Mm-hmm. But during the season, the thinking is that during the season, the head coach is the spokesman for the franchise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And during the offseason, the GM's the spokesman for the franchise. Mm-hmm. And so they stay out. In fact, I, 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 when I was doing stuff for the score and there was, uh, this goes back to Nagy's first year and, you know, they had a lot of success. They got in the playoffs that year and I wanted to have Howie Roseman on. I got, I was doing like a, uh, when they had a late game, I would do the nine to 12 slot with, okay. a, you know, with a, a, a co-host on a Sunday morning. And so I wanted to have uh, Howie on. And Howie said, during the season, I can't do it. He said, and he goes, as much as I'd want, because I work for Howie and and we're good friends. He says, as much as I'd want to do it for you, he said, the Philadelphia media would be really pissed because I won't talk to them during the season. Uh, And I I got it, you know, because, you know, that's, he's, he's got, a way of doing things, and that's the way it is. Now, Ballard did come on. Mm-hmm. Ballard is is a little bit more um, susceptible to things like that, again, okay. again, depending on the situation. But other guys that that I know and I work for, Jerry would have little 
impromptu 15 minute mm-hmm. Q and A's usually on a, you know, we had our box and it was over on the uh, media side, not the, the news media side, but where the, the television media is and the radio media is. That's where our box was. It was right in between the, the replay official. Uh, it was their box was right next to ours. Mm-hmm. Joni Akathayer was on the other side. And then you had the uh, TV uh, people on the other side of Joniak. And he'd have little get togethers with a, a few media here and there, you know, for 15 minutes before a game, maybe an hour and a half before a game. And he'd do that. And there'd be stuff on the record, not the record, mm-hmm. you know, but for the most part, most GMs just stay out of it. They talk to the coach and, and, but they let the, the coach be the voice. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that's understandable and probably a good point, but I wouldn't mind seeing the, the league I mean, maybe take a page out of what Ryan Post did and make the GM a, a little bit more available throughout the season. You know, the coach is always going to be the coach. He's going to have at least three press conferences during the week. But if uh, if the GM could have quarterly meetings with the media, that w- I think would uh, help fans better understand his thinking on certain things. Yeah, again, but, what, but let me let me ask you this: just just for the sake of discussion, argument, or whatever, mm-hmm. what do you want him to say? I know you. I knew you were going to ask. Him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the coach the coach is telling you what's going on on the field. Yes, <laughs> and the GM, in all fairness. The GM has nothing to do with what's going on on the field. He has to do with with the players, yes. but not with how the game's being played. It's a good point, Greg. You're not going to say, uh, "Yeah, I know you've been out scouting. Who do you like? <laughs> Who you been watching?" Oh yeah, well, he's not going to tell you that exactly. <laughs> you know, and so it, it's oh yeah, we we we, we brought in uh, uh, three guys every Tuesday. We bring in three to five guys for a workout and. Oh yeah, that's big news. It's on the waiver wire. Everybody knows about it. Yeah. You know, so and they only do that just to, you know. Sometimes it's because you have a need, you have an injury, and you got to have bring another guy into the practice squad. You want to see who's the most ready or the best fit, so you'll do that. But that's that's what Tuesdays are for, right? Well, and Handsome Duke uh, makes a good point is that after a three-game losing streak, I don't mind hearing from him. And that's, you know, I think that's that's a good thing. He had another impromptu press conference uh, early in the season where the press conferences were done, and then he called the media back in. I got an announcement. I forgot what it was. It was some player personnel move or something like that, and he didn't want to – the media to think that he, they, that they were hiding it from the media and waited to make the move um uh, uh after the press conferences so he is he is a little bit different i guess in 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 uh accessibility and the more the merrier but i totally understand your point of view uh greg well i i took it this way mm-hmm. is that flus made a big deal out of the mini buy we're going to do a bunch of stuff. We got 11 days to do something and we're going to do something and we're going to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We're totally reevaluating this football team. What we're doing schematically, how we're calling plays, we're evaluating each and every player. 
you know, and, and, and see what they do wrong, see what they do good and try to improve that. We're extending individual time and practices on Wednesday and Thursday or last week it was Thursday and Friday so yeah. we can work on those. So to me, when, when Ryan decided to talk Monday night, it was really a follow-up to what Flus's plan was because I guarantee you that wasn't just Flus's plan. That was Flus's and Pohl's plan. Oh, yeah. Sure. So it, it was something to do in conjunction with Flus. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you wanted to talk about Braxton Jones, and I'm glad you are because the chat room is on fire with Braxton Jones' comments. Uh, so what do you uh, what do you think about his play? Uh, again, this is a fifth-round draft pick, uh, was tried out at the left tackle position. They liked what they saw in camp and have kept him there. They have not moved him. I, I, I doubt that he's played many other positions prior to the start of the season they kind of liked them at left tackle and left them there well, that's, that's that's what he was in college and and you know I, it's funny i wrote an article for windy city gridiron today and it was about you know the title of it and i don't remember they might have lester might have changed the title a little bit but basically you know what happened that they took two defensive backs with the first two picks you know why wasn't a receiver in there so i I, what I did with that article is trying to explain the process of how, you know, you, you, you set up a board, but, you know, and I said, hypothetically, they could have gone into that draft that day mm-hmm. thinking, or really during the first round, because you're watching how players come off the board during the first round thinking, okay, this guy or the, this receiver, or this receiver could be there. And if that's the case, we're going to do it, but you go according to your board. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I explained, okay, you could have at that point using our old system. And I didn't use the entire system because there's a lot of numbers in it, but you know, the main numbers would say, you know, in the, in, when you're getting to that, that high second round where they took Kyler Gordon, you know, the grade we would have had on a player at that point would have been like an a 67 if he was like the 35th ranked player, like, you know, where, where Gordon was drafted or 38, something like that. And so that's the level of player you were looking at. But if the draft falls in a way that there's a 68 sitting there, mm-hmm. you have to take the 68. He's a level higher yeah. than the 67. Right, and you got to follow it, and, and and as it turned out, that could be, you know, one of the reasons why you took two defensive backs and and not taking a receiver. Now, the other part of that was, is that in your your draft meetings leading up, and and you spend a, you know, three weeks to a month putting that board together. Mm-hmm. You know, after you get all the information, so it's not like it's done in two days. Right. It's been, you spend a lot of time and, and you're, you know, you spend as much time on rounds five, six, and seven as you do on round one. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think that's all you do is round one. And then, you know, the rest is hodgepodge. No, you're spending a lot of time on day three guys and day two guys, mm-hmm. but you can, let's say you have a grouping of, of four players. Mm-hmm. You got an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, a receiver, uh, 
and a defensive back. They all got the same grade. In your meetings, the way you stack them on the board is you prioritizing the player. They're the same level player. But if all four of these guys are there, I'm taking this guy over this guy over this guy over this guy. It's been discussed. It's not like it's a draft day decision. Yeah, you're going to revisit it because on draft day, because once you get into the draft, you're seeing how players are com- coming off the board mm-hmm. and you're going to start to anticipate. Okay, so uh, what was Jaquan? Jaquan was like but 40, the 48th player or something like that uh, in the draft. When they get around 43, 44, they're starting to think, <laughs> this guy's going to be there. This guy's going to be there. Yeah. Okay, and then sometimes it goes, oh, shit. They all, your, your guys come off, one, two, three, four, and that's happened to me. Um, but, you know, you start looking, okay, we're, we're, we're going to get a shot at this. And that's how sometimes when you get into the, the second, third, and fourth round, how trades come into play because you, there might be somebody you really love. I got to have this guy. And then you overreact and you move up to get him. When sometimes you don't have to. You know, you could just sit and wait, and he's going to fall on your lap. Mm-hmm. But the point I'm trying to make is, is let's say they had a receiver there and Jaquan, and they decided we're going with Jaquan over the receiver. Mm-hmm. And another part of that equation is you look at the depth of the positions. How many guys, uh, how deep is the safety position in the draft? How deep is the corner position in this draft? Can I get a good corner on day three? All right. You know, a guy who I think is going to come in and be a starter versus a receiver where the receiver position was extremely deep. Mm-hmm. And there's guys, you know, who came in or being productive players as rookies that went in the third and fourth round. You know, and, and, that, and this next draft receiver position is going to be ultra deep again, too. So you got to compare all that stuff goes into the, the thing. And, and the, the last thing I'll say about that before we get on to Braxton mm-hmm. is Pickens had a lot of issues. Yeah. We've, I think we talked about this before. I know of at least a half a dozen teams that he was off their board, not a criminal. He's a pain in the ass. <laughs> he's a, he's a selfish me first player, you know, you might even say he's a, a young Antonio Brown type personality, the type that can rub people the wrong way, be yeah. a cancer in the locker room. I had one GM told me, he said, my scouts would have mutinied if I tried to take that guy. Really? Yep. Wow. And he goes, oh, I love the talent. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you do, and, and you got to balance that stuff. But and, and Pittsburgh, who ended up taking Pickens, Kevin Colbert was still running that draft. That's his last draft. And, you know, I've known Kevin going back to 1984. And Kevin's had success taking guys like that mm-hmm. because and part of the reason is he's got such a strong veteran locker room. And so he figures that, you know, like Brown, Brown went late. Mm-hmm. Because issues, right? At central, at central, at central Michigan, he was a pain in the ass, <laughs> you know. And and 
there there were you know things about his 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 background that you know were red flags and and so teams passed there's a lot of people knew that he was a second round talent mm-hmm. not like you know Pittsburgh did a a, a, a great thing or a great job scouting. They just said, Hey, at this point, we're going to take them regardless. And maybe, and you know, we, we can bring them along. And they did for a while, but finally it just started to explode and they couldn't, you know, the, the bullshit he pulls in the locker room just goes on and on and on. And then you got to get rid of the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a shame. He is a great talent, but, uh, when you have a general manager who is basically blowing everything up and wants to rebuild the culture of this team and ha- wants people to buy into the hits philosophy, if you bring in a player who could potentially derail that with some of his behavior or just or just make it difficult for other players to buy in because he may not be buying in, then it's a good idea to forego that talent, particularly if you've got guys on your board that you've ranked high or, or as high. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that approach. So well, let, me, let me say this too. Sure. Is, okay, granted, the, you, you, you could argue, I'll, I'll say that, I was going to say it one way, I'm going to say it a different way. You could argue, okay, they didn't get guys to help Justin Fields. Well, you can reverse that argument and say, what helps Justin Fields more? <laughs> Another receiver or a strong defense that prevents the other team from scoring? I love it. Yep. You know, so now, okay, we don't have to score 33 to win. We might win with 17 because our defense is good. Yep. And, it, you know, you, Good DBs are worth their weight in gold. Man, you ain't kidding. And me. I think, and, and I think those two picks were excellent picks. Um, yeah, people might have done. So other people might have done differently. Mm-hmm. But you know, I know the reasoning, and I tried to you know write that today why it happens. If they want to agree, fine. If they don't, fine. Now to get into Braxton, Braxton is a fifth round pick. Mm-hmm. When you look at his workout numbers, now he, he did some of the stuff over at his pro day because mm-hmm. his three cone was good, but it wasn't great. But then he does, the, that's about the only thing he did, he redid was the three day, and he ran like a 7-4. And a 7-4 for a 310-pound guy is not a good time. It's a great time. You know, and he compared that with his jumps his speed, he's a sub five flat at, at, at 310 pounds. Mm-hmm. That, that's rare. Okay. And he's got 35 inch arms. He's got a strong upper body. He needs work, I think, in his lower body strength. And he'll get that. One off season, he'll, he'll get a lot stronger. One off season than a pro weight room. Now, here, this kid comes from Southern Utah. It's an FCS level school. He didn't have a weight room uh, situation even close to a MAC level, let alone Big Ten Southeast Conference and then the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not getting the coaching uh, that those people are getting. A lot of it, hell, he's just doing on his own. It's instinct. So, you know, he never played against guys that you know the level he's playing against now 
you know, go down. What's FCS? That's like three levels below the NFL. You've got like the, the power five schools. Then you got your, your, your mid majors, like the Mac and the Sun Belt and uh, the American conference and things. And, and then he's FCS and really Southern Utah, when you compare it to some of the other FCS uh, conferences, mm-hmm. that's, in the, that's in the lower run of the FCS level. You know, it's almost high division two. So this guy comes in. I guarantee you they didn't they didn't think they were getting a starter this year. They probably looked at the traits and he and he really held his own with the senior bowl and said he's gonna be an eventual starter, but he's raw and he's gonna need some time. But those raw traits just jumped out right away. And now you, you look at it, you know, we gotta play this guy. I mean, I, I think they signed Reef going into camp to play that position. But mm-hmm. then when they saw what this guy could do, even though Reef could probably do it better early in the season, mm-hmm. the best way to get this guy to a high level is to put him in the fire. Let him learn. Yeah. Is he going to get your guy hit a couple times? Yep. Is he going to get beat by some good guys? Yep. And he's played against some of the best already. Hell, he's only played, what, what are they, what's their records? Uh, three and four, seven games. Right. And he's already played against some really good pass rushers. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he's he been brought to school, and he, every day he goes against a pretty good one in Quinn. What do you think about Cornelius's uh, prediction here that he thinks Braxton is going to do well against Micah Parsons of the Dallas Cowboys because he has problems with power, not speed. Um, I, I I think Parson is a rare cat. He's one of the 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 best to come in in the league in a long time, and he gives the best a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's going to have a problem with Parsons. But I guarantee you that when they do their game plan, you might see a tight end on that left side a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, to to help. I hope so. <laughs> you know, so it, it, that's part of what you do in, in, in game planning and scheming is, you know, you, you, you see where they, but then the thing with Parsons is they line him up all over the place. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, he's like, he's off the ball linebacker. He's rushing from the right side. He's rushing from the left side. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you got to almost see where he's lined up. So like, we got to get to the line of scrimmage with 20 sec, you know, with 20 seconds left on the clock because we might have to adjust our protection depending on where he's lined up. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the chat are saying, you know, my biggest concern with this offensive line right now is the right tackle, Larry Borum. Uh, one uh, person in the chat room saying he's in his second year and I'm not really seeing progress like I'm seeing out of Braxton Jones. What do you think about Larry Borum? I like Larry Borum. That's another situation where you just got to, he's going to be a good functional tackle. He's never going to be a pro bowler, but again, he needs to play. He, he got taken to lunch a couple times <laughs> Monday night. He went against a pretty good football player one night. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of teams put their best pass rusher on the defensive left side because the offensive right tackle is generally your weaker pass blocker among your tackles. Mm-hmm. It's a reason for it. So it's the same thing with Jones. You know, 
could could they try to upgrade the position in the in the offseason? Of course they could. Mm-hmm. But it depends, you know, who is it they're taking versus who else is available, unless you, you know, you go out in free agency and sign somebody. Mm-hmm. And and we'll get into that, you know, once we get through the season. And and people want to overreact to one game or two games. And and in this season, you got to look at the whole season. And we can look at what this team was week one, week two. And week one, I don't count. Hell, they're playing in a monsoon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so week two to week three, now we've played seven games. And you're seeing some things better. Okay, Borum, yeah, he got beat a couple times uh, the other night. But there's games that he's played pretty damn good too, mm-hmm. you know. So you 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 got to put it all together, and and you watch this group as a whole grow. And now it's okay. What are they doing? Games 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And then you know if you see that the the arrows going up with some of these guys, some of them, you know, level out or the arrow starts, their play drops off. Then it's like, Hey, we've already seen their ceiling. It's time to move on. And we got to upgrade that position next year. But that's what you do, you know, late in the year. And and, and in January after the season's over now, you know, you review, that's what the pro department does. That's what the coaches do. You know, they're, they review their team. Coach will say right now, I don't think we can win with this guy. And that's the key word, win. Mm -hmm. Can we win with this player? That is the key phrase everybody should uh, ask themselves when they look at this uh, roster of the Chicago Bears. But also, don't look at it as, can we win with him now? Look at him, can this player develop and we can win in a year or two? Not to say that we're out of the playoff race. By the way, Greg, do you think we're, we have a, a chance to make the playoffs? Wild card? Uh, well, the way the NFC is going, I guess exactly. <laughs> not, nothing's out of the question. <laughs> It'd be imperative, number one, that you win this week. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I think seven losses might get you in as, as, wow. the, last, as, as the last wild card. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like that last year. You know, yeah, you, you, last year you had, a, you had a division winner that sucked. Yeah. But, you know, sure. so, but you, you, you might have a 9 and 7 team mm-hmm. get in, and the, it's not going to be that way in the AFC. But in the, in the NFC, I think you, you could have a, a 9 and 7 team get in. Um, that doesn't mean. And, and, I guess don't let make the playoffs fool you that the team is better than they are. Hmm. You know, the, it, it's still going to be a work of progress. And, and get back to, to Braxton Jones, I want to point. He's got some rare traits. He's got traits that some natural traits that first and second round offensive linemen have. Mm-hmm. What he didn't have is the pedigree. The big school the great coaching, you know, coming from that, you know, a better school, things like that. The athleticism, the athleticism is equal to, to premium round guys. Now it's just 
learn to play. Now he's basically played, you know, he's not a rookie anymore. He's gone through seven games, three preseason games. He played a lot in preseason. So he he's did. played, he played, he's played in 10 NFL games. Now he's learned a lot and, and you're going to start seeing him. Yeah. He's going to get beat sometimes, but you're going to start seeing him. My opinion anyway, that he's going to keep ascending and that next year you're going to have a hell of a pretty damn good t- player there on the left side. Mm. All right, let's tackle some questions here because we've got a few of them. Uh, let's get back to the trade uh, topic. Foster asks that he says, I could see trading Quinn and possibly Whitehair due to his contract. I would imagine that no one would want to try to trade for Whitehair given his injury status. What do you think? Well, oh. yeah, you don't know what the injury is. You gotta, you're not going to – well, a team could know he's hurt and, and say, okay, we're going to – put him on IR. I don't think I have to check into this one because I don't remember on the rules. I don't think you can trade a guy on IR. Hmm. So he'd have to be off of IR. Okay. Okay. He can't come off of IR until next week. And the trade deadline is what? Tuesday. Correct. Next he, he, he can come off Monday, I think. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, you know, I think uh, we don't know how bad Patrick got hurt. And so I cannot see Cody White here going. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I don't see anybody getting traded. Yeah, I'm kind of even with- Quinn. Even Quinn. Um, one of the reasons being Quinn's a leader within the group. Mm-hmm. And, and that same thing, you know, trade Monty. He's coming out of contract. Monty is a co captain. And, and that says a lot about how the teammates feel about the guy. And and so it's not only trading a player, but it's trading somebody that's important in your locker room. And what message are you sending to your locker room? If you trade the guy, mm-hmm. because none of the other guys are going, what the fuck do I got to do? Yeah. Right. You know, you know, so it's there's a lot that comes into play. It's not just as simple as I, I'm going to trade player A because I can get a couple draft choices. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to if if you let well in Quinn's case, he's not going to become a free agent. So you you know you could trade him next season in, in the off season. Could he go? Yes. You know, as far as next week, Willie, I think it's less than fifty fifty. Yeah, I think I, I think that the team you see today is the same team you're going to see a week from today. Yeah, the day after the the trade deadline. Right. Yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. Then what would happen to the morale? I mean, team the the team in the locker room they love Robert Quinn. They love his quiet leadership. They love the fact that he wants to be here in Chicago. He's not interested in being moved. And they still want to fight for a playoff spot. And so if you trade Quinn for draft picks, that's really going to be disruptive to the morale of this team. So I'm kind of with you. I, 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 unless Ryan Poles gets a call that is an astronomical offer uh, for Quinn or anyone on this team, I don't see them making a move. Well, you know, some people have told me, and I, I've talked to quite a bit of agents, and, you know, and I do some work for one. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys say he doesn't get moved. Hmm. You know, the, the, there's no talk. There's nothing we're hearing. 
you know, th that what you hear is, is media talk, but you know, from the people that really know, mm -hmm. that, you know, they're, they're, they're not hearing anything. Now, part of that is, you know, there's two ways you can look at that. Part of it is they're not going to move them. The other part is, is what polls is saying. Well, if you want them, you got to blow my socks off with a, with an offer. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not giving them away for a fourth. Right. Hell, I might not give them away for a third. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care what his numbers are this year. He had 18 and a half last year, and he played pretty damn good. He's getting pressures, mm. and he played pretty damn good on, on uh, Monday night. Yes, he did. Our guy Jordan has a question for you. He says he would love, love to know why you think so much of the team seems like a meritocracy, yet we see uh, Al-Kadim Mohammed, number 55, trotted out there every week when Gibson is undoubtedly more disruptive. What say you, Mr. Gabriel? Well, number one, Mohammed played for Flus for a number of years in, in Indianapolis, so Flus knows exactly what he is. Not only did he play for Flus, he played for pretty much that whole defensive staff, except the defensive line coach. Mm -hmm. You know, Williams is over there, so they know what he can do. He's never going to be a double-digit sack guy. He's a five to eight max sack guy. He's always played in a rotation, but he's a consistent player. Mm -hmm. Okay, and if you look, they play a pretty strict rotation. Last perfect example last week, second series, the first series, defensive series, there was one group of defensive linemen in. The second series, there's another. Mm -hmm. And because I noticed that, that kind of jumped out. Quinn was out. You know, all, all those guys were out. Gibson, I think, I didn't, I, I looked at the numbers. I don't remember the exact numbers, but Gibson probably at the end of the day gets a few more snaps than Muhammad or it's pretty equal. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what they want to do. And th there's things that, that Gibson can do. I, I think in important pass downs situations, you're going to, you see Gibson in there more than Muhammad. I could be wrong on that. I'd have to really go back and, and study the tape, but I, I, I know the philosophy that they're playing with and they want their good guys mm -hmm. ready for the fourth quarter. Right. I'll go back and, and then now the bears don't have anybody um, at the same level. And I'm, I'm gone brain dead. The bills uh, sack guy that they, they signed in free agency from the Rams who was with Denver. Um, what's the guy help me Aldo. Um, that, uh, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, uh Von, Von, Miller. Von, Von Miller. Okay. Von Miller plays like 38% of the, of the downs. Mm -hmm. Part of it has to do with his age, but last week when they had a big game against Kansas city or now two weeks ago, last week, they were in the bye, mm -hmm. jumped up to, he was in the game, like 65%. Oh, you know, they, they they got him for the fourth quarter and key situations and big games. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to wait. He's 32 years old. They, they know exactly what he is. 
and they want they got him for key situations. So they're not going to waste him in in games they're blowing out opponents, and uh, you know they're they're going to rotate him and they're going to keep his snap level down so that when they get into January in the playoffs, mm-hmm. they're going to um, you know he's still going to have some freshness to him. He's not going to be worn down. And according to uh, Pro Football Reference, uh, Mohammed is playing 58% of the snaps. And uh, where is my guy here? I saw him at 43.9% as Travis Gibson. So it's, it's, it's not a, a huge disparity there. And I got a feeling that as the season goes on, you might see Gibson play more and more snaps. So, um, yeah, and there, there's times when they have Muhammad inside in pass rush situations, yeah. or they or they have. I've seen Gibson inside, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it it depends on the situation, uh, and they in the NFL today you're looking for matchups. You want to you want to win matchups, and so you you know you as you're reviewing the film going into the game and you're setting up your game plan, you've got an idea. Okay. If I do this in, in, in nickel situation, you know, I, I, I can put al Qadim Muhammad at, at defensive tackle on mm-hmm. third and long and win, hmm. you know, that type of thing is, is what they do. So, but the following week you say, no, that, that matchup isn't going to work because they might have a, you know, might be like you're playing the Colts and you got uh, Nelson playing inside. And so, you know, that one isn't going to work, regardless mm-hmm. of who you put inside. Right. I got to tell you, you know, uh, it's weird. We fans can be really weird sometimes. Khalil Herbert, you know, is playing well. And so automatically people are saying, well, trade David Montgomery or start Herbert over Montgomery and so forth. I don't understand that thinking. I think that the way this these running backs are getting time, playing time, is absolutely perfect. Just look at the numbers. Uh, but uh, Sam Rush does have a good question. And what did I put, do it? He says, he asks, why don't the Bears default to Monty in the red zone throughout the game, even on Herbert's series? He's the power back. Better pass protector and the better pass catcher. And I wonder that too. Why have... Once you're inside the 10-yard line, why do you have Herbert uh, in? Do you, you know, that, that's a good question. Um, I agree. I, I'm going to say not necessarily inside the 10, but inside the 5. Okay. Okay, because he, he I, Monty's a pretty good between the tackle, even between the guards. Oh, yeah. Runner, okay? And he, he gets a lot of yardage after contact. So, yeah, you, you'd want the more powerful guy. I think part of it has to do with what the play call is too. You know, if, if, if you're going to be running outside, then Herbert's, if your play calls is, is really uh, an outside type of run, then you, you're going to want Herbert in there because he's got more speed to the edge. Um, somebody has here, Herbert's better than Montgomery. That's debatable. They're two entirely yeah. different kinds of backs. Mm-hmm. Um, one is a good open field runner. He's got a lot of speed. Uh, his after contact ability is actually better probably than they anticipated. Mm-hmm. But one thing Herbert can't do and is imperative that you can do in this league, mm-hmm. Herbert is a shitty pass blocker right now. 
And until he becomes a, and, and Montgomery is a very good pass blocker right. until he become a, a, a good pass blocker. And, and I don't say very good, good. You, you can't be trusted to be an every down back. Mm-hmm. You got to be, and, and let's face it. Very few teams have a bell cow running back anymore. That's right. You're, you're, you're using two and three and, mm-hmm. and in a perfect world, all two or three got different types of traits. And in this case, between Monty and Herbert, mm-hmm. they aren't close to being similar. Similar, So, you know, that helps the Bears offense because your opponent has to prepare for two different styles of runners. We're going to have to uh, circle back with Chubbs uh, to have a longer discussion because he he really believes that Herbert is the better back, and uh, part of his rationale is Herbert offers more explosive plays than uh, uh, David Montgomery. But there's a lot that goes into that thinking, and I I actually would challenge the amount of explosive plays. I I think Montgomery has had quite a few and not just the one that Chubbs is alluding to. That was about an eight-yard run. Nine yard run the other night mm-hmm. by Monty that was as good a run as you'll see in mm-hmm. any game. Yeah. You know, but- and and where he very easily could have been hit for a two yard loss on that one particular play. And I don't know if you remember the play I'm talking about. Yes. And he bounced off a bunch of people. And all of a sudden he looks like he stopped for like no gain. And then he's downfield. Yeah. Carrying people and his after contact power is is really high. He's uh, I'm glad he's a Chicago Bear. And it was interesting. Uh, Ryan Poles was asked about Montgomery's contract, and uh, Poles's response was, "David Montgomery is one of my favorite players on this team." So uh, that's some kind of an endorsement. And we heard jo- George McCaskey single out David Montgomery. Uh, when they had the press conference to announce uh, the regime change. So uh, who knows? David Montgomery wants to play in Chicago. He may take less than the market value for a, a running back of his status. I wouldn't mind seeing him around for a couple of seasons. Well, you know what happens in a situation like that? I mean, the agent and obviously the player, but it, a lot of times it's more the agent because he's doing the negotiation. Mm-hmm. He wants four or five-year deal. Yep. Well, it's ludicrous to give a running back a second contract worth four or five years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause, and, and we've talked about it when they start to drop off, they're not, you know, walking down the stairs slowly. They're taking the express elevator, top floor to the bottom floor, just like that. And, and the difference between season A to season B can be night and day with a running back. He can drop off that quickly. And there's a lot of history showing that. So if if you can get a two-year extension done, mm-hmm. I do that in a heartbeat and give more money. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I'd even want to go three or four years. Yeah. Yeah. Only because of the position. You gotta be, you gotta be cognizant of that. You gotta be aware of how running backs, the history of running backs, and, and there's some guys that are genetic freaks that, you know, might be able to play eight, nine, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, and so they d- deserve that. And, but let's be honest, Montgomery's already had some durability issues. Yes. You know, he's missed some time. So, 
you know, it, it's, yeah, we want you, but we want you at the right price. And if you're willing to do that, you'll be a Chicago bear for a few more years. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of answered this question from Eric. What is your guess on good contract terms for Monty to stay here? That works for both sides. So, uh, you got to kind of, you know, uh, is, isn't the key thing here, Greg, is the guaranteed dollars, particularly when you're talking about a guy who's had injury issues? Yeah, I, I think so. But I, you get into that that second contract, and especially for a running back, they know, their agent knows, hey, look, at my, my, my time is limited. I got a short shelf life. Mm. So they're looking for as much money guaranteed as they can get. Yeah. And, and, and that's important because it's going to be, in all probability, his last opportunity to make money. Now, he could stick around and play 10, 11 years in the league. Right. But those last few years, he's playing at minimum. Yeah, this, this should be. Minimum isn't too shabby, and minimum is going to be going up where, you know, it's not too far in the future where the rookie minimum is going to be over a million dollars. So, you know. It, it, it's not like the guy's, you know, getting ready to go on welfare. <laughs> That's right. I love uh, Kevin's comment here. He's basically uh, identified the player who is the poster child for against uh, second contracts, Todd Gurley. Look at what happened with Todd Gurley with that second contract with the Rams. Yeah, he took him to the uh, It happens all the time with, with running backs. You've got to be careful. <laughs> That's right. You really and, do. And, and I'll tell you right now, San Francisco – that was the dumbest freaking trade I ever saw, giving up what they gave up for a guy who's had durability issues for three or four years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. McCaffrey. Um, Handsome Duke has a question uh, very early, but uh, he says, which side of the ball would you focus on in the upcoming draft? Uh, I know the answer to this question, but you are. Well, I, the- I, you know, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Tell me what they're going to do in free agency. There you go. Because it, it I, I repeat it almost every week. What you do in the draft has a direct has a direct correlation with what you previously did in free agency. Mm-hmm. It's your two areas where you try to improve your team and acquire new personnel. So, you know they've got money. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people. Get some people pissed off at me now. We have 115 million or something like that. So they're anticipating that he's going to go wild with that money. I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't happening. Mm. If he doesn't get what he thinks is a fair deal and a good deal for the player he's buying. In other words, he's not going to go out and and overpay by $3 million just to get a, a name at at a player. Like, you know, the, the, the receiver from Arizona goes to Jacksonville and he breaks the, the, uh, wide receiver market just screws up the whole market, and he's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. He he'll spend money if it's the the he doesn't he doesn't have to spend one hundred and fifteen million dollars next year. Part of that's going to go to okay. You're gonna you're gonna re up Roquan. Are you gonna uh, re up Monty? You know things of that nature, and you got to have enough because you know. Justin's going into his third year. Theoretically, you can redo his deal following next season. Mm-hmm. And if and if he starts to show that, you know, you could do two things. You can redo his deal or you could you can pick up the fifth year option on his contract, but you got to do that 
you don't have to do it following his third year as far as the 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 redo the contract, but you've got to determine if you're going to pick up the fifth year option. You know, so it it's they got to have even though it's next year's cap, you still got to have money. You get you've got to figure out how that money is going to be used for those future contracts two years from now and three years from now. That's right. You've got to budget ahead. And uh, there's always ways to manipulate the salary cap. But uh, Ryan Pace did it and created a big hole for Ryan That's right. He overspent for a lot of players. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a perfect example is, is two quarterbacks. He brings in one guy, pays him $18 million. And he lasts like two games because he was terrible. Mm -hmm. but most people would have told you he's terrible before he even, you know, tried to bring him in. Then he gives Andy Dalton five when he could have, or 10 million when he could have got him for four. Yeah. Yeah. Very. And, and you know what? Dalton Simon right away for four or for four and a half, which would have been a favorite. And, and he gives him 10 and you can go through a bunch of the deals that he did mm -hmm. that were like that. And, I don't know if it, it was him or if it was Joey Lane or a combination of the two, or it was like, okay, I got to get this guy, so I'm going to overpay. Well, you, you look at who Ryan Poles has worked for. Mm -hmm. who, who's he worked under and, and who's he worked with? Those people have been very, very conservative for the most part in the free agent market. Now, not, now, he could very well, like Jordan said, well, what are they get? How are they going to spend that $100 million? Well, I don't know how you're going to spend it. I'm just saying, I don't see him going out and giving some guy some outrageous amount of money just to get him. He's going to get a guy that's going to be a fit in the locker room. Hey, if it's the right player and he's going to cost you um, $18, $19, 20000000 million a year, Fine, but he better be the right player, and you don't want to do it for you know a 30 year old player. Mm -hmm. You want to do it for a twenty five year old player, right? Right. Yeah, I uh, I'm with you on that. Let's see if we can tackle one more question before we pull the plug here. Uh, no, we got we got to talk about Green Bay getting their ass going to get their ass kicked in in Buffalo. I think that's going to be ugly. Before we get there. <laughs> Carlos Santos was named special teams player of the week. Thank you, Toreen, for letting us know that. That you know, we don't often talk about special teams, but we know their value. But the, you know, because they, they get so few snaps, we overlook them. But the field goal kicker is such and field goal with punters and gunners and so forth, these guys are so effing valuable to a team's success. And applause, applause for Santos, who has not missed a kick this season. I oh, he's missed, he missed a couple extra points in the in the monsoon game. That is true. And uh, uh, field goals, though, he is perfect. Uh, he's oh, only, right. only one, two field goal kickers who's perfect in the league. But you're, you're right. I forgot about those extra. Yeah, but then he, he also had going back, you know, a couple of years. What do you have, 28 in a row or 30 yeah. in a row or something like that? No, he's he is very, very consistent. I think the special teams as a whole – has been very good. I commented on Twitter during the game. Uh, first three kickoffs to the Patriots, they never got to the 25-yard line. And, and, and use the 25-yard line as a standard because if you just 
down the ball in the end zone or let it go through the end zone, you're getting the ball at the 25. Mm-hmm. Well, they weren't even getting it to the 20. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, if you get it to the, if they return a kick like they did, I think that the, their opening return, they got, to, I think, to the 18-yard line or something like that. That's plus seven yards for the Bears. And, and you know, that's one of the ways you, you grade your special teams. Their coverage units have been very good throughout the year. Outstanding. All right, let's talk Bills and Packers. The Buffalo is favored by ten and a half points. Uh, this it's is the big... it started a little less than that, didn't it? Wasn't, yeah. Didn't it start about nine or something? I think it opened at uh, eight and a half. Is where it opened, according. Yeah. To... Well, then, 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 uh, Mister Selfish opened his big mouth <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yes, the but, biggest yeah. underdog line of Aaron Rodgers' career. <laughs> it's not good news for Mister Rodgers. <laughs> Buffalo has won their home games by something like 30, over 30 points. Mm-hmm. That team's on a mission. A total, I, 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 you know, look what they did in, in, in Kansas City. Look at how they that These are road games. How they yeah. destroyed the Rams in the opening game. But one bad game, and the heat index on the field was, that was in Miami. Mm-hmm. And they could have won that game. The heat index on the field was 110. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those days, so to speak. Otherwise, they're just blowing everybody out. And I got a good friend from here who I grew up with in, in, in Buffalo. We went to high school together. We've known each other since uh, 10th grade. He's on his way to Buffalo right now. He's taking his whole family. <laughs> so, he's, I mean, he's taking his kids and his grandkids the name's Gary. I don't, I don't want to mention his last name. Okay. To the state, to the game. Now, he, he grew up going to the stadium a lot, going to games. Part of it is he wants his grandkids. You know, he told me, he goes, it was on my bucket list. I want my, my grandkids to experience the tailgate parties and stuff at Buffalo because it's very unique. Mm-hmm. Their, their tailgating is huge. And if you saw the, the parking lot set up, you'd, you'd understand why. Um, but, you know, the, and I just told him, I said, Gary, it's a night game. You better get there about noon. So because <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, my my daughters go to, to all the games, and um, my daughter has this place where she tailgates, and I let Gary know where that is. It's a 10 minute, it's not in the stadium lots, but it's a big, you know, it, it's somebody's house. It's got a huge yard, and they probably have maybe a dozen cars parked there and they have, you know, big, big parties. And uh, he, he knows where that is. And it's, um, it's very easy to get out of the stadium. The, mm-hmm. the bad thing about those lots, they're so big is that it takes you a long time to get out after the game, where mm-hmm. if you're at a remote lot, like at, at, at somebody's house, you can be, you, you win by an hour just, <laughs> you know, trying to get out. So, he may do that, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anxious just for him because you know he's taken. I think he's got a dozen tickets he bought uh, for the game on Sunday night. That's going to be a great game because they're going to whip the crap out of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. They just the Packers have absolutely no chance to come away with a victory in that game. A couple of uh, late breaking questions here. A nomad wanted me to ask you about. 
Do you know of any centers that might be available given the Lucas Patrick injury, if that if he's going to be out for several weeks? And I'll add to that, what do you think of the play of Sam Mustafer on uh, on Monday night? And I'll add even more to that, J.C. Treader, uh, the head of the Players Union who has not signed a contract with any team, is still out there. Would you take a look at him if you needed a center? Well, Treader is out there. Uh, he did, quote, retire. I don't know if he turned in his papers, mm. but he, he did retire uh, when he didn't get a deal. Right. But, yes, J.C. Treader is out there, but how ready is Treader to play? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's almost like a four or five part question. First of all, what's, what's Patrick's injury? Mm -hmm. And they said on TV toe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, has he got a turf toe and he's going to be out four weeks? Is he going to be out two weeks? You know, I think we'll know more about that today. Later today, when the, or, or you know, Flus is very, very vague when it comes to injuries. But you, you know, if if they put him on IR, he's he's four weeks. Now, is there anybody out there? Um, not really. It, you know, if there was somebody out there, they they'd get him. Now, could you quote trade for one? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a possibility. Um, Depending on on the depth some teams have at that position, mm-hmm. and then the other answer to that question is, um, the, he said the how bad the field was. Soldier Field, the Soldier Field field is a one hundred percent different field this year. Yeah, but he uh, his point is that J.C. Treader complained about the field uh, prior to the new surface, and so that probably did not go over well with the Bears brass, and they probably wouldn't even invite him as a result. Mo- money money talks and bullshit walks. <laughs> there you go. I forgive you. Come and help us. <laughs> the, but uh, the, the other thing is is Cody Whitehair. Mm-hmm. Cody, can you put, can you put yeah. Cody Whitehair? Was, did Schofield play at the enough level mm-hmm. that you could put Cody Whitehair back at center? Yeah, and Nomad adds the the Dieter Iceland uh, possibility. Yeah, seems yeah. like, and I know he's been going up against second and third stringers every time we've seen him, but he seems to hold his own against those second and third stringers. Well, and, and that's a coaching decision. You know, what do they feel? How do they feel about Dieter Iceland? Do they mm-hmm. think if we put him in the game, he can win for us? Because again, I'll go to that key. Can we win with him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Michael says uh, if they keep white hair next year, move him to center. Uh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, Patrick's going to be at center. Patrick's, a, I know people are down on Patrick, but just go get some all 22 and watch him at center the last two years. He was just the starting center for, I think, all but four games over the last two seasons for Green Bay. Mm hmm. Yeah, I do believe that uh, Lucas Patrick is probably having that kind of uh, Robert Quinn first year with the Bears where things just aren't working. It's a kind of snowballing, you know, injuries and and, uh, having to move from position to position. In 2023, hopefully he'll be healthy and play center all 17 games and then we'll get to see him at his best.
All right, uh, uh, Greg Gabriel, this has been a lot of fun. You got any final words, any words of uh, caution about when the Bears go to the Dallas Cowboys or anything else? You right. I, I think this game is what I – this is about a 10-point game, too, isn't it? Similar to uh, – Yes, 10 points, exactly. I think it's going to be a little closer than that. I yeah, I, I, I think the offensive line is going to have some problems with some of the pass rushers that Dallas has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, the defense is going to keep the guys in it. And uh, uh, Dallas defense got to prepare for fields. And that because of the way fields played against New England – he, he added a little bit element in some of those. Uh, they, they were planned or schemed run versus scrambles. Mm-hmm. And so, not, you know, they got, they got to prepare for that. And, and I think that he's getting more confident throwing the ball. Uh, you know, he had a couple awful throws on just little short things where the, and part of that might've been the slick ball from the, from the fog, Mm -hmm. Uh, but take away those, those two throws. He threw the ball pretty damn well uh, the other night. So I, you know, I think he's getting better. Um, I'm not going to try to predict a winner, tough place to play down in Dallas, but you know, I, I don't think Dallas is, is really a great team. Mm-hmm. They're all right, but they got some pretty darn good players on defense. Well, make sure you are following Greg, Greg Gabriel on Twitter. It's Greg Gabe uh, at Greg. And follow the Barroom Network on Twitter. Follow Jordan T. Silvera on Twitter. He does a nice uh, 10 uh, thoughts uh, of, of the game immediately afterwards. Uh, so those are good Twitter uh follows among the many we have here at the Barroom Network. And just a reminder that uh, at 2 p.m. it's Bar Down Hockey Talk. And then tonight, two Bears programs, Buffon 55. We will do a thorough, thorough preview of the Dallas Cowboys with RJ Ochoa, the blogger over at Blogging the Boys. And then at 9 p.m., Danny Shimon has selected about uh, over a dozen plays of Justin Fields that we will break down and have some fun uh, looking at his progression. Greg, you are the absolute best. I'll see you next week, brother. Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you later. Later.